0: While Keely reads the word, okay. Please stand with me if you're able as I read 2 Corinthians 13 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word of God for the people of God. And thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. glad you're here today this year we started off going through the new city catechism and we're on question three and if you heard our text today it mentions those three you'll find the trinity woven throughout scripture in our text today it said the grace of the lord jesus christ so it's mentioning jesus there the love of god and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You see that prayer and that blessing being interwoven with who God is and the fullness of God as the triune God. Our question three is how many persons are there in God? And the adult answer, that's the little slightly longer version, is there are three persons and one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. The kid's answer is, uh, how many persons are there in God? And Samuel can tell you, how many persons are there in God, Samuel? There are three persons and one God. He practiced it on the way here. He doesn't want to do it. He's out now. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just simplified the shorter version and answer. That's the one I memorized with the kids. And uh there are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Grace is Heavenly Father. We need prayer this morning because we're uh, just delving into who you are as the triune God. So help us to understand the doctrine of the Trinity and all of its relevance to our life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. My prayer right there was that we would learn something about the Trinity. So we'll be asking the question, what is the Trinity? But even probably more than that, hopefully, we'll be spending more time in so what? So what about the Trinity? What relevance does that have on our lives? So if you study um, God three in one, what relevance will that have to our lives? What is the Trinity and what relevance does the Trinity have to our lives? So first, what is the Trinity? Our answer brought some of that meaning and the definition. The Trinity is three persons in one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in explaining that a little bit, it says they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. I've been reading also a book what the catechisms do is they go through and they, uh, we, we, we did the Nicene Creed uh, today. And you, if you noticed, it talked about the Trinity. It talked about, began with the Father, then went into what the Son did, and then went into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's very rooted in the Trinity. And so what these creeds did a lot of times was help us define those. And so those are very good. Uh, one of the things that comes out of that Is basically seven statements that go into the doctrine of the Trinity. And here they are God is one, there's only one God. That's the first statement. Second is the Father is God. Second, next after that, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And then, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. If you get those seven statements, then you've captured the doctrine of the Trinity. What it means when we say there is one God and three persons. So Christians are monotheist. One God. We don't believe in many gods. We don't believe in a pantheon of gods, but just one God. And that this God expresses himself and exists in three persons. That language of persons is very important. The church wrestled with that for a long time and for years, and, and, and we believe that uh, it is still the best word to use to describe the three in one, the three persons of God. What the persons aptly speaks to is the personality of the three members of the Trinity, the relationship that they have with each other. So when we say three persons in one, it's describing relationship, and it's describing their personality, that there is distinctives to each one of them. So they co inherit they exist together as one essence, and yet there are distinctions. One is not the other. So when we said the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the Father, they aren't they have distinctions, and yet they're one essence. In our answer, it was their one substance, equal in power, equal in glory, equal in majesty. So there's this oneness to essence, but there's distinctions of the three persons. To uh, uh, define that differently than from the, uh, the God of uh, Judaism or the God of Islam, is that their God is monotheist, they're monotheist with us, but their God is unipersonal. That means one person, one God in one person. Uh, The Christian uniqueness of the Trinity, which no other religion has, uh, even though we're monotheist with them, we believe we're not unipersonal. That is, that God exists in three persons. There's three persons in the one God, not one person in the one god so that word person helps describe and distinguish from one god there's only one god exists in three persons that mean those persons can have different distinctions within god and yet they are one god if you're not lost yet that's probably because you've studied the trinity a lot uh if you are that's uh, you know a little bit understandable we'll 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 in a sense, continue forward, and I'll try to explain a little bit of how the Trinity works and how you see it interwoven throughout Scripture. So you're going to go on a journey with me, and it might be kind of quick and fast, and we might be covering a lot of Scriptures and just soak it in, okay? Soak in the Word. What we're going to look at, first of all, is the Trinity interwoven throughout creation, in creation. So in the very beginning In Genesis 1, 1 through 3, we have, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, I'm stopping right there. You have God here in the beginning of creation. You have the Spirit, the imagery here, hovering A lot of um, uh, Jewish writings on this subject give the imagery of the Spirit fluttering over the face of the deep like a dove. Actually, in some of the writings, use that imagery of the Holy Spirit fluttering, hovering over the face of the deep like a dove. It doesn't say that specifically here, but that's the imagery portrayed as other people look and and delve into it. And We're going to see that some more how that ties in later on in some other scriptures. But then you just have, and God said. And what John does, the gospel of John, is plays on this God saying, God's spoken word, that God's spoken word speaking creation into existence was Jesus. So John starts his gospel the same way John 1 1 through 3, he says, in the beginning. Now, that's exactly the same opening as Genesis 1. In the beginning. Instead of saying God, he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, so now it's personalizing the Word into a he. He, this word, was a person. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. So he's not created either. He's in the beginning with God. All things are created. Made through him. And without him, this word was not anything made that was made everything was made through the word so you see this relationship of the trinity and you see that the word was with god and the word was god and that this he is jesus and in john 1 14, a little bit later it says this word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth so you see this relationship of the word being the Son whom the Father has sent. So you see this relationship between the Father and the Son. So that brings in from creation the Word and creation. And as you look at Jesus and the announcement of his birth in Luke 1, you're going to see the involvement of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is a creator. Luke 1, 34-35, Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? Like, how can I be with become with child? And the answer comes in Luke one thirty five. And the angel answered her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you." Now, now look at what the Holy Spirit's going to do. It says, "The power of the Most High, this Holy Spirit, is the power of the Most High, will overshadow you." And the imagery here is that same imagery at creation. It is the hovering. The fluttering like a dove of creation over the waters is the same imagery here as, as the Most High, the Holy Spirit, overshadowing Mary, overshadowing her, and bringing about the creation of Jesus in the womb of Mary. So the Holy Spirit rec- creates, like hovering over the water in Genesis, the Holy Spirit hovers over Mary's womb. Matthew 1, 20 confirms this when uh, the angel in the dream says to Joseph, that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the creator there. And then at Jesus' baptism later in Matthew 3, you see this same imagery, and this time it's very specifically mentioned that the Holy Spirit descends like this imagery we've been talking about, like a dove. Interesting, isn't it? I love this creation in Genesis 1. The word that he spoke was with God in the beginning and was God the word when he spoke, when he said. That was the word there. And then the Holy Spirit hovering, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. And then when Jesus was uh, uh, made in the womb of Mary, uh, you have this same imagery. And now you have uh, this image this situation at Jesus's baptism in Matthew three sixteen, it says immediately he came up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So we see the Trinity interwoven throughout all of scripture and we see first and foremost, the Trinity interwoven In creation. And so in Jesus, there is a new creation being made and formed. So when Jesus comes to life, we become no longer a race in Adam, enslaved to sin, but we become a new race of people in Christ, freed from our sins, and now slaves of righteousness. Righteousness for his namesake, for the glory of Christ. So God's creating a new race in Jesus, a new race of people, a new creation. And therefore, Paul can announce in Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? New creation. He comes and, and brings that new creation in you. God is interwoven as three persons in one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, And yet they each had their distinctions in that role of creation and in new creation. I want to take you on another journey that really helped me this week. It was a journey, what I heard of a quote from Sinclair Ferguson, and he talked about the upper room discourse. And that's the discourse that begins in John around chapter 13, and it's the last kind of days of Jesus' life. And all the rest of John are about the last days of Jesus' life when he's in the upper room. They call it the upper room discourse. And what he said was that that upper room discourse was all about the Trinity. That he was leaving and the most important thing he felt like he could teach them was about the Trinity. And so all kinds of light bulbs started going off in my head. So I had to read and read through and read it with that lens that Jesus is teaching in his final words, his final discourse about the triune God, Trinity must be important, right? One of the, one of the more uh, most neglected and misunderstood doctrines in the Bible, but it's all through, it's all interwoven through the Bible. And the, very specifically in this application point of why the Trinity matters you want to know okay Bobby you're going to run on three and one one and three and the father's not the son you're going to teach me all this but in the end you know who cares so what I leave with a big head you know what does it matter and what I want to say is is that it matters because of love and this is the main emphasis that I want to see our understanding of love is is full when we understand that God is a community of three persons eternally in love with each other. And that's really the only way you can say God is love, is that love always was. Otherwise, you have to say God uh, created people and then God loved, or God created his heavenly host and then he loved. But So what we will look at specifically... As we look through John, I want you to soak in these scriptures now. You went on a journey with me through creation. Go up with me on this journey through the Upper Room Discourse. And see the Trinity. See how it relates to love. First of all, he kind of begins in John 13 with this new commandment to love one another. So he's starting with love and he's saying that they're going to need to love each other just as I have loved you. That is with the love that Jesus loved them. They were to love one another. That's a challenge. Peter thinks he's up for it. And right after that, he realizes that it's going to involve some sacrifice. And he says, right after that, he says, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So his will, he thinks, is that he can lay down his life. He would be willing to sacrifice that with him. But Jesus answered, will you? Will you lay your life down for me? And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So in this first phase, he's not going to lay down his life. He's going to run scared and deny him. Because Peter doesn't understand the Trinity, he doesn't understand how much he is loved he doesn't understand all these things because he hasn't been infused with the power of the Holy Spirit the Trinity is not working in his life or in his love yet he might have the great aspiration but many aspire few attain and he's not going to attain he's going to fall but when Jesus comes back to him I'm going to leap through John I'm going to come back and go through a bunch of things but just with following this little line with Peter in John 21 when Jesus comes after resurrection, comes to them fishing and they swim up on the shore and Peter can't believe it, it's Jesus and he's there with them again and they're eating some fish and bread for breakfast and and, and Jesus asked Simon Peter three times, do you love me? And in, in verse 17 he says, Simon son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. This is a discourse about three times him denying him and him coming back and saying, Three times, Do you love me? And it's about love. It's about for him to love one another, for them to love one another. And Peter's going to do it this time. And we see his life uh, full of trials and tribulations, but him writing his letters of first and 2 Peter and him feeding the sheep and him doing and carrying on that mission of love. He got it. He got it. This relationship that he got, that he didn't quite understand when Jesus was teaching it through John, has to do with the the trinity this upper room uh, discourse has to do with the trinity so john 141 they they're they're worried cuz jesus says he's leaving and their hearts troubled and jesus says let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me here's the beginning of trinity talk believe in god just like you believe in god believe also in me so jesus is saying believe in god you do well believe also in me so he's starting this father and son relationship and he begins to talk he's talked a lot even previously to this about how the father and the son are one i and the father are one in different occasions so he's already brought that up but here he begins this discourse with his disciples talking about them being one and then john 14 6 on the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me like Believe in God, believe in me. The only way to God, the Father, specifically calling out God as the Father, the only way to the Father is through me. One way, one truth, one life found only in Jesus because Jesus is the only way to the Father. So starting with this Trinity, uh, Trinitarian talk and starting with that relationship of the Father and the Son, Then he brings it into love. In John 15, he talks about abiding in the vine, but in John 15, 9, he brings it into love, and he says this most profound verse. He says, as the Father has loved me, are you following me so far? As the Father, he's been talking about father and son relationship, as the Father has loved me, so have I that so you have to understand something about how the father loves the son right because that's how jesus loves you he loves you like he is loved by the father so you would have to understand something about the trinity about this eternal love relationship that the father has always had with the son and he says abide in my love now this is going over their head and even if it's not going over their head like most of us We might be getting it, okay, the Father loves uh, uh, the Son and Jesus, and Jesus loves me like they love. Okay, let's move on. But that's profound. That's profound. That is a great love. That's a love. What kind of love is that that the Father has for the Son? So there's glimpses and hints and interweaving of the understanding and the teaching that goes on from there. And when he gets to John 17 in that great high priestly prayer and he's praying for their unity and their love their ability to be able to even love one another he says this John seventeen twenty three. I in them you in me that they may become perfectly one this is Jesus's prayer get ready family this is this is going to be answered so the world may know that you sent me The Father's distinct from the Son. The Father's sending the Son. The Son's not sending the Father. They're distinct from one another, but they they, they would know that the Father has sent the Son. That's what he wants everyone to know in this. And love them, here's where he's bringing it down to love, even as you loved me. I know, because it just takes a while to soak into this. Basically, in John 15, he is saying, Jesus is saying, I love you like the Father has always loved me. And now he's saying, the Father loves you like the Father has always, always loved me. So both, we're loved by Jesus like the Father's love Jesus, and we're loved by the Father like the Father loves Jesus. See that? You're invited into the very love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. And what that is, is an eternal love that wasn't created, that has always been. And this is the profound beginning of understanding of what the Trinity means in relationship to love. And you say, well, where's the Holy Spirit That That's great, the love of the Father and the Son. All through this discourse, what Jesus is promising is the Father and the Son, we read this in the Creed, sends the Holy Spirit. And so in John 14, Jesus talks about uh, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So they're talking about being glorified in in each other. And by the way, this might revolutionize your prayer life. Because the Trinity and the understanding of the Trinity changes your prayer life too. Because he's saying, whatever you ask in my name, he's talking about prayer. And that you ask the Father uh, in the Son's name that they may be glorified. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he moves into love. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. You love this word, helper, paraclete, one called alongside advocate counselor comforter we use these words because we're trying to explain what paraclete means in the greek helper is the word esv uses the helper and he'll be with you forever see jesus is leaving but he says be comforted you believe in god believe also in me and then jesus starts saying i'm going to give you someone who will be with you forever it's the holy spirit that's big Jesus comes and goes, but the Holy Spirit's going to abide with you forever. He's the one that's going to keep you in the love forever. He's the one, yes, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it never sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We're not orphans anymore. He has given us his Holy Spirit, and he's very really he has adopted us Into the spirit of adoption by Romans says, by which we cry, Abba, Father, through the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit is the adopter in in you, who moves in you and makes claim in you of Jesus. He is the one who lives inside of you and who will never leave you. This is who Jesus says he will give, and he says, this is so profound, he says, nevertheless... I tell you the truth, this is in John 16, 7, talking about the Holy Spirit again. It is to your advantage that I go away. That's mind-blowing. It's to, to your advantage that I go away. So how powerful... They need the Holy Spirit, so much Peter needs the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to make everything that Jesus said real in his life. It's an advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and it will be an advantage. That's Jesus' glorying in the Holy Spirit, glorifying in who he is and what he will do. So we get into this, seeing these scriptures of the Trinity and glory. They're they're talking about glory. John 16, 12 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. You see this kind of distinct role. One speaking, the other one speaking their words. they're, They're working together in the redemption of man their distinct roles uh, that they have, but their one purpose in specifically, not just in creation, but in our salvation and what's happening there. He will declare the things that are to come to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, he will glorify me. What will the Holy Spirit do? He will glorify Jesus. What will the Holy Spirit do? He will glorify Jesus. Another version says, he will testify of me. He will speak both big things of Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak big things about himself. He speaks big things about Jesus and he glorifies him. He pours out his glory on Jesus. So a person pouring out, testifying of Jesus, is doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who, who the Holy Spirit is. He is God and he's unique from Jesus and the Father. He has distinctions. And Jesus is teaching them in this upper room discourse that they must know this. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. This great glorifying thing continues in the high priestly prayer in John 17. It's about glory. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. Can you picture it? Jesus lifting up his eyes to heaven. Here's what he's saying. Father. How you pray, our Father who art in heaven, how would you pray to the Father? Father, the hour has come. Glorify. I'm going to talk about glory. Glorify your Son. Why? So that the Son may glorify you. Now, we just said that the Holy Spirit will do what? Glorify Jesus. We're talking about glory, the Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus. Now, and Jesus is teaching them this. And you know, this is like, but they're going to get it. Holy Spirit's going to bring this back to their remembrance. Remember when Jesus taught you, you remember that's what's happening to you now. That's the revelation you're getting now. The Holy Spirit is teaching you right now. He's bringing back. That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He'd bring back all the words into their remembrance that I've taught you. He is the rememberer the recorder, the one who brings back and magnifies Jesus in his glory to them. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the power of God. Power of God. He's revealing and bringing all these things. That the Son may glorify you. So you see the, the Father glorifying the Son. So that the Son may glorify the Father. You see them glorifying each other. You see the Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus. He goes on and talks about glory more in seventeen. I've glorified you on earth. Seventeen four. And I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory. And we're going to talk about the glory. How long has the glory existed? That I had with you before the world existed. And we were in this little room right over here. used to be a little Sunday school class, and I was in there with uh four or five people, and we read that scripture, John 17, 1 through 5. And there was a new believer in there. She had just been coming to church a month or two. And when we read that scripture, tears ran down her eyes, just pouring down her cheeks. And I was like, Well, what's happening? I don't know what's happening so I'll stop and I said what is happening <laughs> and she said are you telling me that what this scripture says is that Jesus always existed with the father like before he came down and was born and I said yes he always existed with the father I said yes and they glorified each other and he's, re- he's returning to that glory they always had together? And I said, yes, that's what it's saying. And just more tears came. She goes, that's just the most beautiful love story I've ever heard. And just bawled. See, we just read right over it. The glory that they all always had before the world existed. But to a new believer, you know, the Holy Spirit revealing that to them fresh. Fresh, they're invited you mean i'm wrapped up in that kind of love story yeah you're wrapped up to the eternal love that the father's had for the son and the son's had for the father and the holy spirit is powerfully revealing that to you right now he's powerfully testifying of what jesus has done on the cross what he has brought for us he has restored the love of god He's brought it brought it back and jesus is like well, this upper room discourse you guys need to know this before i depart i'm going to the cross here's my final words i'm going to say the most important thing that i say before i depart and that is you need to understand that god is three persons in one and we've always loved each other and i invite you into that love so here's how some the- theologians describe this glory the dance of God. Describe it as a dance. What does the term glorify mean? Tim Keller is asking himself this question. Reason for God. He's talking about the Trinity. He says to glorify something or someone is to praise, enjoy, and delight in them. When something is useful, you are attracted to it for what it can bring you or do for you. But if it is beautiful, then you enjoy it simply for what it is. Just being in its presence is its own reward. To glorify someone is also to to serve or defer to him or her. Instead of sacrificing their interest to make yourself happy, you sacrifice your interest to make them happy. Why? Because your ultimate joy is to see them in Are you following me a little bit in glory? So what does it mean then that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit glorify one another? If we think of it graphically, we could say that self-centeredness is to be stationary, static. In self-centeredness, we demand that others orbit around us. We will do things and give affection to others as long as it helps us meet our personal goal and fulfills us. The inner life of the triune God, however, is utterly different. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self giving love when we delight and serve someone else we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her we center our interest and desires on the other that creates a dance particularly in the triune god if there are three persons each of whom moves around the other two so it is the bible tells us Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, and defers to and rejoices in the others. That creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. The early leaders in the Greek church had a word for this. Perichoresis. Note the word choreography with it. Dance or flow around. Is that beautiful? I mean, could you kind of capture some of that imagery? I like reading that over when I'm a little bit down and say, oh my gosh, that's the kind of love I am in the dance that I'm in, and of course, Tim Keller was a huge C.S. Lewis uh, fan, so his wife, uh, Kathy Keller, had actual letters written to her from C.S. Lewis that they still have, so Tim and Kathy Keller. But C.S. Lewis said this about this dance. He said, in Christianity, ready for C.S. Lewis quote? You got to (gasps) kind of, in Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing, nor a static thing, nor even just one person. Remember, he's not unipersonal, he's tripersonal. But a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, a kind of drama, almost if you won't think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The pattern of this three-personal life is the great fountainhead of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality (sighs) like God is the center of truth he's the center of what's real he's the center of reality the triune God pulsating actively working dynamically with each other is at the center of reality and therefore life that C.S. Lewis quotes from mere Christianity so this doctrine of the trinity Kind of can overload our mental circuits. I had times this week where I was completely overloaded mentally in my circuits. I literally just went like on my bed like this. It was like, oh, oh. I felt like there was a gigantic weight inside of my head. Uh, But it was glorious at the same time. It's a heavy thing to dig into. But when we dig into it, it's profound. It's astonishing. It's a dynamic that the triune God is life-shaping. And understanding this has those kind of implications, doesn't it? About how we are saved, how the Father sends the Son, the Son dies for us upon the cross. Holy Spirit doesn't die, the Father doesn't The Son dies, those distinctions. Then we're sealed in the Holy Spirit. You love Ephesians 1.13. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It just seals you in, in and Jesus, and the Father, and that love. And therefore... We are sent out with a mission today, understanding that kind of love and those, some of those implications of understanding the triune God. We hear verses like this in Matthew 28, Jesus' final words before his ascension. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of who? Yeah, there's the triune God. Baptize them in that. Teach them." The Trinity, teach them all that I've observed you. Baptize them, immerse them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you till the end of the age. Amen? Amen. That's my closing. He's sending us out to go and make disciples, to learn who God is, these three persons in one, and to go out and make disciples of some Trinity believing Followers of Jesus. We close by taking the Lord's Supper together. In that upper room, He inaugurated what we do right now. He took bread he gave thanks to the father for it and again kind of looking up giving thanks to the father for it disciples around the table upper room and he gives thanks for the bread and he said this is my body take and eat of it when you do do this in remembrance of me let's partake of the bread the body of christ said this is the blood of the new covenant given for you and my blood for the remission of sins take and drink of it and when you do do this in remembrance of me let us remember Jesus and his shed blood for us as we partake together understanding the trinity implications to our worship we worship Jesus who is one with the Father we worship the Father he gave us the Son we can worship them three is three in one let us worship that knowledge in Jesus name.